0: 24 to 35. Start with the parable of the woods. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world.
1: Join together for prayer. And our Father, we thank you so much for your word. And thank you that as we think about what was said, what was spoken, as the Lord Jesus was doing this, the reaction of the people who were thereby, we thank you that He took the time to explain to His disciples and the time to explain to us as well. So that we can understand, understand the great message this morning. The message that we're on that winning side. Thank you for these kingdom parables. And thank you that the king is in control. May we rejoice in that as we see more of that this morning. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. series of parables this morning, actually three of them. We saw last week... In another parable, why Jesus spoke in parables at that time, and you may recall we were talking about the principle of light that was given and then light that was responded to so that more light could be given. And in the parables, the Lord Jesus would give things that were maybe a little difficult to understand, but for those who accepted what he was saying, he would always give more light. He obligated himself to do that. So we saw that in verses 10 through 17 last week, and we saw it reiterated again today in verses 33 and 34. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable, and that was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. So this morning... We're going to be looking at three other parables, as last week we looked at the one of the four soils. total of seven parables in this chapter. All but the first one compares something that is very well known at that time. We might call it today an object lesson, something that is readily apparent to the people who are there. The Lord Jesus, in many cases, could even point to something that was nearby. So we're going to see something well known at that time compared with the kingdom of heaven, And all but the first one, you'll see these words. Either the kingdom of heaven may be compared to or the kingdom of heaven is like something else. And so the parable this morning of the weeds is what is in front of us. And what I'd like to do is to begin reading with verse 36, where Cheryl left off the reading. In verse 36, because the Lord Jesus explained the first of these parables, The other two probably don't need a whole lot of explanation, but the first one did, and the disciples even recognized that. So we see in verse 36 um, the the fact that the Lord Jesus is... I'm sorry, I'm not in verse 36, but as we look further into verse 44... No, I'm I'm in the wrong verse again. Let me get myself... Um, What I want to look at is... Verse 36, okay, I was right the first time. Never doubt yourself. Let that be the lesson. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. So they wanted more light. And the Lord Jesus was going to give them more light. He answered, "'The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man, the field is the world, and the good seed is the children of the kingdom, the weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the close of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the close of the age.'" "...the Son of Man will send His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear." And so he begins, "...the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field." That's how this whole thing began. But it's helpful to identify some of the elements in this parable. And so we're going to identify some of the elements as the Lord Jesus told us about them. First of all, one of the elements was a man who sowed good seed. Now, who is this? Well, the man who sowed good seed is identified as the Son of Man. That's the Lord Jesus himself. That's his favorite title for himself. Jesus sowed directly during his earthly ministry, indirectly through his servants following that. What is the field? Well, Jesus told us, the field is the world. It's the whole world. It's not limited to the church. Some interpreters will say, well, no, the the field is the church. That's not what it says. It says the field is the world. The good seed. Please understand we had a parable last week that talked about the four soils, that talked about the seed, and that talked about the seed being the Word of God. These elements don't stay the same necessarily from parable to parable. This is an entirely different parable. The seed is not any longer referring to the Word of God, but to the sons of the kingdom, Jesus told us. The sons of the kingdom, then. That would be believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who follow the king those who recognize the kingship of the Lord Jesus. Weeds. What are weeds? Well, here Jesus told us they're sons of the evil one. Sometimes in some of your translations, you'll see the word tares, T-A-R-E-S. You'll see that. And I mention that because I'll refer to a couple of other writers later on who will use the word tares from older translations. But the weeds are the tares. And the word in the Greek language is Zinzantion. You can see that on the screen. And it's identified as a variety of the Darnell weed, according to numerous sources that I consulted. Almost everybody is in agreement that this was a reference to the Darnell weed at that time. The Darnell weed looks a lot like wheat in its early stages, but at maturity the wheat and the weeds are clearly distinguishable from each other. The Darnell weed, by the way, is poisonous and it's been referred to as the bearded Darnell. Sometimes you'll see that reference. Now, sometimes the sowing of the imposter seed, sometimes that was actually done at that time. Jesus didn't make that up as an imaginary story, but that was something that was done by people's enemies to them at that particular time. It was out of spite or malice or revenge, but an enemy would actually come and do that. It was a common enough crime for the Romans to have a specific law against that. They made it illegal to do that because that's something that people did at that particular time. The enemy who sowed the field, and if you want to take a, a look at the field here, the enemy who was sowing that, and there's actually here Darnell weeds and there's also wheat that is growing up together. The enemy who was involved in doing that was the devil. The devil. The devil, the sinister one, uh, the devil who is certainly real. The harvest, Jesus said, it's the close of the age or it's the end of the age. This will be at the judgment, at the second advent of the Lord Jesus. Not the rapture, but the return prior to the 1,000-year millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the reasons we know that is because the reapers are identified here, and the reapers are not involved in the rapture, but they are involved later on after the tribulation period. The reapers are the angels. Now, if you look at verse 40 with me for just a moment, there are several verses here that indicate something that I think was obvious, but I want to make the point again. It will not be good to be a weed. It will not be good to be a weed. And remember, the... Weeds were identified as the sons of the enemy, the sons of the evil one. If you look at verse 40 with me once again, once again, just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the close of the age. The Son of Man will send His angels and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I don't know what you believe about hell. There are a lot of people today that say that hell can't possibly be a real place. It can't be a literal place. And it's certainly ridiculous to think about a place with fire, eternal fire and weeping and gnashing of teeth and all that sort of thing. I'm a literalist. I take things literally in the Scripture unless they indicate otherwise. Not everybody is. But no matter how you interpret hell, you don't want to be there. You don't want to be there. That's eternal separation from the Lord Jesus. That's bad enough if that's all that it were. But we don't want to be there, and the point that is made here very clearly, it will not be good to be a weed. But the other point here is that it will be good to be wheat. Look at verse 43. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. It will be good to be wheat. So think of yourself as wheat. Think of yourself as champions if you will. If you don't want to think of yourself as Wheaties, well, then go back to wheat, but (laughs) champions. Let me make several observations based on the parable that we've seen, as well as Jesus' explanation to his disciples about what this parable meant. First observation, good and evil are going to coexist for a long time. You understand that already but that's what this parable is teaching us. Good and evil will coexist for a long time. Evil's not going away. If you're waiting for it to go away, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen until the close of the age, and that's a point that's made very clearly here. And also this observation. Satan, the enemy, the one who sows evil seed, is real, and he's ominous, and he's one that we would do well, to look at what all the Scripture tells us about Him, and we need to resist Him. We need to stay far away from Him. We respect the power that is there, but we don't fear it, nor do we dabble in anything close to satanic or the occult or anything along that line. Satan, the enemy, the one who sows the evil seed, is real and he's ominous. I'm quoting here from the Believer's Bible Commentary. It says this, The enemy is Satan, the enemy of God, and all the people of God. And then he goes beyond that. He says, "...the harvest is the end of the age, the end of the kingdom age in its interim form, which will be when Jesus Christ returns in power and glory to reign as king." The Lord is not referring to the end of the church age. This parable does not justify, as some mistakenly suppose, the toleration of ungodly people in a local Christian church." Because if they're trying to say that this refers just to the church, not to the whole world, then that says that in the church we tolerate good and evil and they coexist and we don't worry about it until the end. Uh, The point that's being made here is that that's, that's not correct. Remember that the field is the world, the commentary goes on to say, not the church. Local churches are explicitly commanded to put out of their fellowship all who are guilty of certain forms of wickedness. First 1 Corinthians 5, verses 9 through 13 is cited. The parable simply teaches that in its mystery form, or its secret form, the kingdom of heaven will include the real and the imitation, the genuine and the counterfeit, and that this condition will continue until the end of the age. Then God's messengers will separate the false, who will be taken away in judgment from the true, who will enjoy the glorious reign of Christ on earth." I want to make another observation here as well as we look at this parable. We ought not fight sin in such a way that the righteous are at risk. That was the point of the parable. The servants wanted to go and uproot the weeds right away. And the master said, uh, no, don't do that because we'll put everybody at risk then, including the wheat. We'll tear them out at the same time. We ought not fight sin in such a way that the righteous are at risk. And sometimes we do that. Sometimes we as believers will take a look at those around us and take a look at the world and we'll see the evil that is there and we'll see the evil that our people are doing. And we will try to do something about it immediately that puts the other believers at risk, makes our testimony a very difficult one to maintain because we become arrogant and obnoxious. It says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24, "...and the Lord's servant..." Now, that's referring to all of us who are believers, all of us who recognize the King. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. Able to teach patiently enduring evil. Did you catch that? Patiently enduring evil. Yes, it's going to be there. But we don't take those who are not in Christ and make them the enemy and go out and attack them. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. We're given specific instructions here. We can't be arrogant people. We can't be condescending. We can't be critical all the time or judgmental or hostile or unloving. That's a discredit to the Lord Jesus. It's a discredit to other Christians. And what we're trying to do is we root out that evil, we're also hurting each other and hurting our testimony and hurting the testimony of a church. Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil. Many of you know 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Let me read that verse for you, but I want to go on then to verse 16 as well. It says, "...but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy." Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Verse 16 goes on, Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. So that even if they want to attack you, they find out they can't because you haven't done anything wrong. You haven't become an obnoxious Christian. You're a loving Christian. Even as it says here, with gentleness and respect, patiently enduring evil, as Paul said to Timothy. Another observation, which comes out of a previous one and is almost identical, but not quite. In order to protect the wheat... The weeds and wheat will exist together until the close of the age. There were two problems at that time in trying to do what the servants of the master of the house asked about doing. Do you want us to go and immediately gather these weeds? There were two problems with that. If they pulled the weeds prematurely, the wheat would be at risk since the roots of the wheat and the weeds became intertwined. So if you pulled one, you pulled the other. Also, some have suggested that if some of the wheat matured later, it could be mistaken for weeds because it didn't yet have grain. So you had to be very, very careful. One commentator puts it this way. The church is called to preach and teach against sin and all unrighteousness. We can't dilute that. We can't compromise that. We can't back away from that at all. That's our call. But in doing that, its purpose is not to judge But to win souls, not to punish, but to convert sons of the evil one into sons of the kingdom. In any case, the Lord makes clear that the separation of the wheat and the tares of the sons of the kingdom and the sons of the evil one would be only at the end of the age. In the meanwhile, they exist side by side breathing the same air, enjoying the same sunshine and rain, eating the same food, attending the same schools, working in the same factories and offices, living in the same neighborhoods, and sometimes attending the same churches. So what do we do about that? What do we do about the fact that those who are the sons of the evil one and the sons of the king are coexisting until the end of the age, what's our responsibility? They're not going to go away. And we're already told that we're not to be quarrelsome, that we're to be kind and gentle and patient and loving. But that's why we've been given the privilege of being salt, light, and fragrance in this world. We've been given that privilege That's part of our vision statement. That's what God has called us to. Very often at the end of a service, you'll hear me pray that God would help us to truly be salt, light, and fragrance because we want to be difference makers. We're not of the world, but we are certainly in the world. And while we're in the world, we need to make a difference. You've seen these verses many times before. We're called to be salt, light, and fragrance. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. We've been told that over and over again. We're the salt of the earth. What does salt do? You think about that. Salt does a lot of things. It prevents corruption in food or decay. It enhances the taste. It can be used to cleanse some things. I actually looked up an article on the Internet. It's called 12 Reasons Why Salt Is Good For You. I want to send a copy to my doctor. (laughs) There are some things in there that are incredible. I didn't know about salt. I'm not going to give you all 12 reasons, but did you realize that salt improves your insulin sensitivity? I bet a lot of people didn't realize that. That it also increases... Your mortality rate helps you to live longer. Salt actually causes you to live longer if you don't overdo it. And it also is a natural antihistamine. I bet not a lot of people realize that. Now, when you read something on the Internet, you've got to take it with a grain of, well, never mind. Uh, You you, you have have to think about it when you're reading it. There are also articles that talk about how bad salt can be for you. But we're not thinking about that this morning. We're thinking about how good it can be for you. And we are called to be the salt of the earth. Matthew five sixteen says, or Matthew five fourteen says, You are the light of the world. Two verses later it says, In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So in Matthew 5:13 you are the salt of the earth Matthew 5:14 you are the light of the world and in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 would you turn there with me please 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verses 14 through 16 I want you to see why we say that we're also supposed to be fragrance in the world And so the salt gets out of the shaker. It gets shaken into the world. There are people nearby who need the salt that Christians provide. The light is not hid under a bushel because we're in the world and we're letting the light shine. And also, we have a fragrance. To some people, it's good. It's an aroma. It's beautiful. And to other people, we stink. But that's what it tells us. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. That's what we're supposed to be doing when we're in this world. And when the wheat and the weeds are there together, the wheat has an influence. So... He spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere, for we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the others, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? And it goes on in that passage to say, none of us are except in Christ, all of us are. So we need to be careful of two things. Not to be overly judgmental and not to be unaware of Satan's schemes. Martin DeHaan wrote this in one of his devotions. For 11 years, an official at a Michigan community college impressed fellow workers as a highly qualified and faithful administrator. He did his work so well that the board of trustees named him as a finalist in their search for a new president of the school. Then a routine background check was made on him. What had turned up surprised everyone. No documentation could be found for the man's master's and doctoral degrees. When told about the problem in a special meeting, the man excused himself from the room to get his transcripts and never came back. What seemed so bizarre to his fellow workers was that he had been such an excellent administrator for so long. Just as that administrator was able to deceive his colleagues, so also spiritual counterfeits are able to deceive their friends in the church. They have cleverly faked credentials of belief, may remain undetected until God's judgment. And he concludes by saying, We know that counterfeit Christians are in our churches. So we need to be alert to problems they can cause, like false teaching and spreading disunity. But we also need to be careful about making false judgments about others. According to Jesus, many of the tares or the weeds won't be revealed until the final judgment. And so we have a parable before us of the weeds and the wheat. And it's very possible that we have weeds among us. And it's very possible that we have weedies champions among us as well. It's up to the champions to live like champions, to be all that God intends for us to be, to be salt, light, and fragrance because we are going to be in this world until the end. We're just not to be of the world. We're to make a difference. There's another parable here. Verse 31, the parable of the grain Of mustard seed. And you recall as it was read, it's not long, just simply this The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. So again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to something. And this time it's a grain of mustard seed. So a man sowed that grain of mustard seed in his field. There's something ironic here. What is the irony? Well, the irony is that the mustard seed is the smallest of all seeds among agricultural plants in Palestine. But when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree. Some of you probably cannot see the seed in the hand of the person on the screen. How many of you cannot see anything in that hand? Can you all see that? I needed to make it smaller. (laughs) That's actually an approximation of a mustard seed. And we're told the birds of the air... And remember in our parable last week, Satan was represented by the birds who came and snatched the seed away. Again, this is different terminology. The birds of the air, not Satan anymore, but those representing those who are just people of the earth who can come and make nests in the branches. But here's something that comes out of a parable like this. And this is a great time of the year to mention this because we have so many of our students who are on the way back to school to various Um, middle schools, high schools, universities, colleges, grad schools. Good time to mention something like this because there are always critics of the Bible. There are critics of the Lord Jesus. And they want to point out what they figure out are discrepancies or errors in the Scriptures or errors in something that Jesus had said. And the critics of the Bible like to point out some of these alleged contradictions in the parables. They point out one here. Actually, two. They say that the mustard seeds are not the smallest seeds around. For example, the wild orchid seed is smaller. They complain that Jesus was not a botanist nor an herbivore, he made a mistake here. What Jesus said is not true. Jesus is a product of the ignorance of his time. If he believed that and other people believed that, well, they were all wrong and Jesus was wrong along with them. And if the Bible presents that as truth, can you imagine a professor in a class bringing this out and saying to students who eat up everything that that professor says, says, the Bible's filled with contradictions. Here's one of them. Here's another example. Jesus said it's the smallest of all seeds, but it's not. Jesus was just as ignorant as everyone else, according to their view. Well, one writer refutes this erroneous thinking, I think very logically. But he was not comparing this seed to all other seeds in existence, but only to the seeds of garden plants in Palestine. Of the many plants grown at that time in the gardens and fields of Palestine, the mustard seed has the smallest seeds, just as Jesus said. And on top of that, when the Greek word for seed, which is the word sperma, when that's used in the New Testament in reference to plants, it is always used of agricultural plants, those intentionally grown for food. And of those plants, the mustard seed was the smallest of any other seed. It's a fact that the mustard seed, in the thinking of that time also, was proverbial for anything minute in its beginning. The mustard seed is so small, it's almost invisible to the eye. And that's why it's used proverbially. That's why Jesus said later in Matthew, if you had the faith of a mustard seed, what's he saying? The smallest thing proverbially that I can think of to say. There's a doctor, L.H. Shinners, director of the herbarian at Southern Methodist University in Dallas and a lecturer at the Smithsonian Institution, who stated in the conversation this The mustard seed would indeed have been the smallest of those likely to have been noticed by the people at the time of Christ. The principal field crops such as barley, wheat, lentils, beans, have much larger seeds, as do other plants which might have been present, even as weeds at that time. There are various weeds and wildflowers belonging to the mustard, pigweed, and chickweed families with seeds as small or smaller than mustard itself. But they would not have been particularly known or noticed by these inhabitants. Those weeds and wildflowers were not planted as a crop. So he's saying the same thing we said earlier. The only modern crop, by the way, in existence with smaller seeds than mustard is tobacco, tobacco. And that was of American origin. It wasn't even grown in the old world until the 16th century or even later. And so the critics are poking fun at something that needs not to be poking fun at. The Lord Jesus was not wrong. What he said was exactly accurate to the time and the place in which he was speaking. Well, the critics also question the other end of the statement here about how big the mustard seed grows into that it grows into a tree and big enough for birds to come and nest in that. Some people will claim that that's absolutely ridiculous. No mustard tree or mustard bush could ever support birds' nests. But I have read also many times in many different places reports that mustard trees in Palestine at that time Were 8 to 12 feet high. Our ESV study Bible tells us that. Or even 12 to 15 feet high. And there are even reports of double that size. And this is a picture of one of them. Can you see a bird nesting? Several birds nesting in the branches of that tree. So please, when you go back to school, or even if you don't go back to school, if you're hearing people say the Bible's filled with errors... They're talking about things like this that are easily understood to be truthful, accurate, not errors. I have a book, The Alleged Discrepancies of the Bible, and it must be a couple of hundred pages long. And as you read through some of those discrepancies, I do believe that children in our primary department on many of them would be able to say, wait a minute, that's not, there's nothing wrong with that, and they'll, they'll have an explanation as we do. So as we're, as we're looking at this parable, that's one thing I'd simply like for us to keep in mind. There's no explanation of this parable given by Jesus. He just tells it that this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's like a grain of mustard seed. Starts small, gets big. The disciples don't ask for an explanation here. Why not? Well, probably because the meaning is quite obvious. What's the point of the mustard seed The point is this, the kingdom of heaven did not begin with a bang, but began very slowly. Those who were awaiting the kingdom may have been very surprised by its initial smallness. They were expecting King Messiah to come and get rid of all the enemies, but it didn't happen that way. And that's the point that Jesus is making. Everything happened according to plan. Everything was scripted at that particular time. And this is the way that it was supposed to be. It was supposed to start out small, and then it would grow and grow, and it would grow into something very, very large before it was finished. So those who are awaiting the kingdom may have been surprised by its initial smallness. I see this as a picture of the visible outward growth of the kingdom that starts small and grows larger. That's all Jesus is saying here. Kingdom, have a small start. Twelve men will kick off the gospel message that will ultimately turn the world into upside down here's an older commentary and i I love to consult older commentaries In some very recent ones here's what an older commentator said you expect it will appear great and will arrive at its perfection all of a sudden but you are mistaken it is like a grain of mustard seed a little thing takes up but little room makes but a little figure and promises but little yet when sown in soil proper to receive it it waxes a great tree I didn't need to tell you it was an older commentator when I used the word waxes, did I? Verse 33, parable of the leaven, even shorter. Again, no explanation. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. On the screen, you see pictured somebody working through some flour and some yeast. Well, this is about a woman who took leaven or yeast. She hid it in three measures of flour. That's a lot of flour. That's about 50 pounds of flour would produce enough bread to feed 100 people. Eventually, all the flour would be leavened by the yeast that was there, or the leaven. This would involve a process that took time to develop. It didn't happen all at once. And those of you who are bakers will understand that process a lot better than I do. What is leaven or yeast like? Interesting. It's a small, single-celled fungus that ferments sugars and other carbohydrates and then reproduces. So the next time you're waiting for your bread to rise, think about all the fungi that's there in the middle of all of that. But the point is, it doesn't take much In a pound of leaven, this is very interesting, in a pound of leaven or a pound of yeast, there are said to be 3,200 billion cells, and not one of them alike. How do we know that? Some actuarial person somewhere along the line counted all of them. 3,200 billion cells. A half ounce of yeast will raise four cups of flour in about an hour and a half. What's the point of the parable? Some think leaven is always bad. certainly has a negative context in the Scriptures oftentimes. But I don't believe that's the point here. The point here is the invisible inward growth of the kingdom. Quoting from my older commentator once again, You expect it will make its way by external means, by subduing nations and vanquishing armies, though it shall work like leaven, silently and insensibly and without any force or violence. A little leaven leavens the whole lump, So the doctrine of Christ will strangely diffuse its relish into the world of mankind. In this it triumphs, that the savor of the knowledge of it is unaccountably made manifest in every place beyond what one could have expected. What became of the leaven? The woman took and mixed it into a large amount of flour until it worked all throughout the dough. By using these kinds of parables, Jesus was saying, you Jewish religious leaders may hold to your dead traditions and oppose the truth, but God's living kingdom will still increase. Satan will still be defeated. Isn't it great to be on the winning side? The future is scripted. And we've been given the privilege of reading the last chapter. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is in good hands. It's in the hands of the king. And that's the point that is being made here. Nothing that has ever happened has surprised God. The present, the future, they're all scripted. And we know what's going to happen. We know who's going to win. We know who the wheat is. We knew, know that we're supposed to permeate this world, even as leaven or yeast will do. We understand these things because the Lord Jesus has given to us a glimpse of it so that we can trust Him. Even when, as Chuck prayed today, our nation, our world appears to be in a whole lot of trouble. But how many times does it say in the Bible to wheat, don't be afraid? Trust me. Don't lean on your own understanding. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for letting us see into the future all the way to the end of that tribulation period to be able to see what happens when the weeding out process occurs, but in the meantime, because we are here, and we are here with... Weed and weeds, help us to be able to make our lives count for you. Give us an intense love and passion to reach out to those identified as the weeds. Thank you for your great grace. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.